Hi, I'm Sian Xiao, a healthcare researcher. And I'm Sammy Winemaker, a palliative care doctor. If you or someone you know is facing a serious illness, you've probably spent many hours in waiting rooms, scared and not sure what to expect. We can help. Together, we've heard from thousands of patients and families dealing with serious illness. Our goal is to share what we've learned so you can be more prepared and in control. This is the Waiting Room Revolution, and it starts right now. Hey, welcome back. It's Sian and Sammy again. Last episode, we talked about the key called Know Your Style, which was about your personality and your coping mechanisms and how you face challenges and how all of those will have a large impact on your journey. This episode, we want to focus on a related key called Customize Your Order, which is about how important it is to tailor your care plan to match your goals and preferences. So what people need to understand is that the healthcare system is designed to offer standard care, and it has a really hard time veering from usual patterns. A good comparison would be an assembly line. An assembly line, of course, is programmed to ensure that the same product is made the same each time in large numbers. In comparison, customized products take a lot longer to create and are much more expensive. But people expect a customized product when it comes to their health care. Of course, when they experience their illness for the first time, their illness is just that. It's theirs. And again, they expect it to be unique. And it feels very different from anyone else who would have the same illness. So the expectations is for the person to have the same type of personalized individual care. The default is what the healthcare system usually provides, which is something like a conveyor belt. But it is possible to customize your order. The truth is, there are simply too many people needing care for a big healthcare system to be able to truly offer person-by-person tailored care. They can't take the time to be able to individualize care for each person. So in order for the system to keep up with the demand of patients needing care, it has to be designed to offer usual care, which is what they call it. So I think the common misconception that people have is that doctors know best. And they feel that the doctors are the experts. And because of that, they should be the ones to make all the decisions about their care. And it's hard to fight against that thought because there's a lot of medical jargon. There's a lot of fancy names for drugs and treatments and equipment. So it's easy to feel like they are the experts. They should be the decision makers. And to a certain extent, that's true. But what we want you to know is that while usual care or the standard of care may be right for the majority of people, along the way, there are times where you may want to customize your order. It's like a restaurant. The regular items might be great for many, many people, but there are lots of times you can customize that order for, say, your dietary restrictions or your preferences, like I want it extra spicy or hold the mayo or even order off the menu. So I think what we're trying to say is being regular customers of the healthcare system, so to speak. We want you to know you can customize your order along the journey. The doctors are experts with respect to the illness. And they will offer options based on what is best standard care for that particular illness. But the doctors don't know you. Only you know you. So they won't be able to take the time to really unpack who you are in a very deep way, to be able to take 
all the options and really massage them to be the best ones that suit your style and who you are. So it really is about you think about you and what's really important to you and integrating that into what's offered from the doctor. Customizing your order helps prevent you from feeling like a number. So many people say to me, I just feel like I was a number at the clinic. And so you don't want to feel that way. So the only way to not feel like a number is to try to assert yourself. Otherwise, you'll feel like you're a round peg fitting into a square. If you don't inject your own values into the scenario, then you will just be offered what everyone else gets who has that illness. And you are not everyone. You are uniquely you. So one thing to clarify here is that we're not saying that your interactions with your clinical team is not personalized. Of course, they're talking to you and your family and trying to help you make the best decisions for you. Um, but what we're trying to say is the standard of care, what often the recommendations are, those are based on the evidence, on science, on large studies, where the outcomes are typically you know, survival. It's devoid of personal preferences. And those studies don't know what is important to you and things like what's important to your quality of life. You know, and things that come up often are, will it allow you to travel? Will it allow you to spend quality time with your children, be a part of a future wedding or graduation? These are things that may be important to you that will not be reflected in the standard of care. So just to know that those treatment options, it's a starting point for the system. And there is some ability for you and your family to inject your values, your preferences into their plan. And that's how you can make the journey more representative of you and make that experience better. Otherwise, you'll end up thinking that, oh, I didn't know I could do that, or I didn't know there were even options for me, if you don't ask those questions up front. A good analogy I think about is when I used to drive by a school in my neighborhood, and I would see all the kids from the school wearing their school uniform. Everyone was expected to have the same school uniform on, but to be honest, every single person styled their uniform just a little bit differently so that it would still pass and be considered to come to school with your uniform, but some of them just pinned it here or tucked it there or tailored it here. And so everyone still did individualize their school uniform, whether the school realized it or not. So this is what I think about in this key. It's really about knowing who you are and knowing that you have this ability to take what's considered a conveyor belt type healthcare system and tweak it and pin it and hem it and tailor it so it feels more like you. Oh, I love that analogy, Sammy. And I think that's where we're talking about here is you have to know yourself, but also think about what's important to you and your goals and preferences as the patient and, and matching that with your journey. And I think this comes up in a very practical sense for the patient and family with respect to decision-making for treatments. So sometimes there's a decision point, like, do I continue with this treatment X? Or do I switch to treatment Y? Or should I stop altogether? And what are the potential benefits of that? Do the benefits outweigh the risks? What are the side effects? There's always these trade-offs. So what, is, what are you willing to make? What trade-offs are you willing to make? And I can also see it coming up often in the terms of alternative medicine, you know, what, uh, Eastern and Western medicine, that combination of them, and what, you know, making sure your treatment plan reflects your philosophical beliefs, your spiritual beliefs, your cultural beliefs, all of those things together. 
Other examples of different scenarios where you want to customize your order might be when you're thinking about what to do about your work life and your professional life as you're facing this illness. Your doctor's not going to be able to tell you what to do about that. That's based on your own values. You may make decisions about where to receive care, whether it's in your neighborhood or outside of your city, um, in a hospital versus being at home. Again, you have to think about what's best for you and what's best for your family and not necessarily uh, what the healthcare system says is best for you. Another typical example is when uh, someone offers the potential for more investigations or tests to be done. Only you will know whether or not you want to go for that biopsy or for that type of surgery. And to a certain extent, your decision will be based on what's important to you at the time it's presented to you. So there's lots of examples when customizing your order will make your care feel more like you. An illness journey has lots of twists and turns, and they come in a variety of forms. And the tendency is just to go with the flow because there's an assumption that the healthcare system has got you. And to a certain extent, they do. But again, only you know you. Sammy, what are the consequences of just going with the flow and going with that standard of care? In fact, I mean, as a researcher, I would say standard of care is what the evidence or what the science says is the best thing to do. So what's so bad about that? So one of the challenges is that if you don't know that the healthcare system is going to offer you this standard type care or usual care, then you may assume that the care has been tailored to your individual needs and your goals and your values. And you may tend to accept what's presented to you and refrain from asking provocative questions. And you may end up keeping your concerns to yourself because if you don't realize you're being offered just a cookie cutter kind of care for the reasons we described, then you just go with the flow because you feel that the doctors know best. The problem is, is that as time goes on, you will begin to feel that your care doesn't represent who you are. Too many people have told me at the end that they have felt that their identity is lost and that they no longer know who they are. They don't recognize themselves, not just physically, but spiritually. And somewhere along the way, they are not them anymore. And that's really dangerous because then people start feeling like life is not worth living and they start to feel hopeless and helpless and lost. And these kinds of feelings can also amplify physical symptoms. So the first thing is for you to realize that the healthcare system is set up to offer standard care or cookie cutter care. So knowing that, You have to do some self-reflection on what's important to you so that you can address the healthcare system in a way, just like the school uniforms, that you can tweak what's being offered to you to fit into your own lifestyle, your own personality, your own family's needs, so that when you travel along your illness journey, you maintain a sense of yourself and that you feel you are you along the whole entire way. Another really important point is especially for the person with the serious illness. Once you know your own goals and preferences, you then have to let your family and friends know, your inner team, your inner crew. Let them know what your priorities and wishes are so that they can be on the same page as you and go along the journey and support you. Because there's often, there's this tension between what your priorities are and what their priorities might be. And it's always more helpful to talk about that and let them know. The patient often is the one who, if they take the lead and express those clearly, the other supporting uh, family members will align and support them. 
That's an extremely important point, Sien. So another reason why this exercise is really important, this review of what's important to you and the list of things that you value and believe in, is because there could come a time in your illness where you're not able to speak for yourself. Now, this doesn't happen to everyone, but sometimes it does. The healthcare providers will then look to the person who's designated to make decisions on behalf of you to make a decision. And that person is going to feel much more equipped to be in that role if you've shared the information with them. You need to share with them what's important to you so they can make a decision on your behalf. It's worthwhile, depending on where you live, to look into legally who is that person if you can't make a decision for yourself. Is there someone automatically who would be appointed in your inner crew, or do you have to appoint someone yourself? The bottom line is that someone else other than you needs to know what you value most. What we often hear are stories. Some of the most painful stories that we hear are when family members have to make these decisions and don't have a lot of input. If the patient's not able to make decisions for themselves, they often agonize over what they should or shouldn't do, and they feel incredible guilt and doubt or regret because they really want to do what's best for their family member, but they don't know what that is. And so things play out and what happens happens, but the feeling of never knowing haunts them for years and years after. So it's really important to express your priorities, your wishes, and share them with your healthcare provider and your family so that everyone can be on the same page of what's right for you and what would make this journey more personalized and customized. These kinds of discussions are not meant to be just one-offs. It's really important that a person checks in with their point person multiple times throughout their illness journey because people do change their mind about different things as the journey changes. Whether you're in the beginning of a journey or the middle of the journey or the more advanced stage of the journey, your priorities might change. And unless you share that information with your person, they may make a decision on your behalf if you can't make that decision based on something you wanted at the very beginning of your illness, but that might not be what you wanted later in your illness. So you have to check in with these conversations multiple times along the journey. In other words, what is important to you, what your preferences are, change as your illness changes. Um, based on various different things, how, you're, how you respond to your disease, the trade-offs that you're willing to make, those all are things that might change along the way. So it's ultimately about knowing what's important to you, your preferences, and realizing or being okay that these may change. And it connects to an earlier key that we talked about, which was walk two roads. This is connecting to that idea that hope ev evolves along your journey. For many of the episodes so far, some of the greatest power comes from knowing yourself, whether it's about knowing your style, or knowing you're invited to ask questions, or knowing what your values are, knowing what's important to you, knowing what you would trade off. This is all about you. You are the most important person in your illness journey. The healthcare system is designed to treat your disease, but only you know you. If you just take the back seat in your journey and go with the flow, you'll end up getting standard, reasonable care, but that care may eventually not feel like it's part of you. You need to jump from the back seat into the front seat, and you need to try to be more assertive, 
or have someone in your life that's more assertive than you if you're not going to be the one to drive the car. Don't let the healthcare system drive your car. You need to be the driver. I'd like to bring in a guest now, my friend Wanda, who, along with her husband Brian, cared for her daughter Callie. And Callie had several serious medical conditions, and she died a few years ago. I really appreciate joining the podcast today, Wanda. Thanks for having me. Just for some context, can you tell us about the serious conditions that Callie was facing at a young age? Yeah, so she was six years old uh, when she got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and three separate heart conditions. So she had what's called long QT syndrome, which basically means that her segments of her heartbeat were not equal and in a normal heartbeat they are. So her last segment was almost three times as long as normal. She also had two other structural issues. So their issues were um, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which is a thickening of the heart muscle itself. And she also had a valve issue at the top. Um, Her one valve wouldn't quite close all the way, which made her heart labor a little bit with that. And how old was she when she passed away? She was 12. She had turned 12 in November. So she was just past 12. I always tell people she passed away on Christmas Day because I feel like she is the Christmas angel. We all kind of felt that immediately when she did pass. It was like, why Christmas? And then when you thought about Callie and her, you know, her, her personality, it was like, why not Christmas? So this episode is all about customize your order and that there's a standard of care, but there are times when that needs to be customized or personalized to one's preferences and values and wishes. So can you give us some examples of how you and Brian customized your order with Callie? Well, right from the very beginning, um, her condition came with a long list of things she couldn't do. As soon as we knew she had long QT syndrome, the list began with no swimming, no running, no cartwheels, no going upside down, no roller coasters. Um, It just went on and on and on. And to a six-year-old, you know, she immediately gave us a lot of pushback and said, like, you know, she was using phrases even at six, like, you know, if I can't do that stuff, then what's the point? Like, life is for living. And these are the things that make me be happy. And these make my heart feel joy. Like those are the expressions that she would use. And we were like, you know what, you're right. And then they told us, you know, probably about a year after her diagnosis that we absolutely could not travel with her. And we're big on travel. So we couldn't imagine traveling without her. And we had already established a love of travel in her. Um, And we were like, you know what, we're just going to take her with us. Like, I don't know. It was just, that's again, a a personal choice of ours. But when we look back now at our memories, our best memories were in places that she would never have experienced if we had listened to the doctors. You know, they told us she had to be within one hour of sick kids at all times, just in case something happened. Yeah, I just think when you're given, you're given doctor's orders, and you're given a list of things that they highly recommend you should and shouldn't do. The flip side of that is, you know, what is, what is living for? And what is it about? You know, is it, is it to follow these orders and just live in four walls and not have the friend, like she wouldn't even have had the friendships that she did if she didn't, if she, you know, she had followed those rules because she wasn't allowed to go for walks with her friends. Like she wasn't supposed to walk to school and we only live like a four and a half minute walk. And Brian lots of times would, you know, kind of keep an eye and stuff and make sure, but you know, you had to give her the independence. So besides traveling and walks with her friends, were there other examples? 
Yeah. Um, Callie loved to do cartwheels, but she just loved gymnastics and things like that. And roller coasters. So the summer of 2015, we went to Darien Lake, which we had done every year, and we had never let her ride a roller coaster because it was doctor's orders. But she convinced us somehow to go on the Viper, which is an upside down roller coaster. And I remember, you know, she was begging and begging and Brian and I looked at each other and we said, well, you know what, let's just all do it. We'll all just go on. And we did. And afterwards I said, how's your heart? And she says, oh, my heart's fine, but my stomach feels so queasy and I want to do it again. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, she was a daredevil. But yeah, those things are just the best memories because that's what she really, really wanted to do. We do hear sometimes that customizing your order isn't always easy. So can you share some examples where it might have been difficult, maybe where there was pushback from the healthcare system or from Callie herself? At about 11 years old, um, we were told that she needed a heart transplant. And the way that we were told that for the very first time was was actually you know, very scary and it came totally out of left field for us. We were just handed a booklet across the desk from the doctor and it was titled, When Your Child Needs a Heart Transplant. We'd never heard that phrase before that. Um, I could barely see the words because when I got to the word transplant, I just remember crying and Callie leaned over and looked at it. And of course she was 11 and able to read. And she looked at me and we were both kind of shocked. And, and I remember it was definitely quiet in the elevator back down to the parking garage and about halfway home from Toronto, she finally piped up and said, I don't want a heart transplant. And that was the first time she really said that. And I remember just asking her to please read the literature with me. We would read it together. She did agree to go through the booklet, but she wanted to do it on her own. And at that point, she started to use Google. And then she would start coming to us with facts like, you know, a heart only lasts 10 years, right? And, you know, I have diabetes, so a heart transplant probably won't even work for me. I have so many other problems. Um, just randomly, she would spew facts at us about a heart transplant. And again, was adamant she was not having a heart transplant. Um, she did say, you know, somebody will have to die for me to have a heart and for me to live. And I don't want that. And when we explained to her that, you know, like, they're not dying by choice, they've probably been in a tragic accident. And it's, you know, transplant is a gift. And she wanted no part of that. Um, and then she started saying things that summer, like, you know, mom, Everybody only has a certain amount of days on this earth, and we don't know how many days that is. And it was true. But, you know, the the push from sick kids to do a heart transplant was, was huge. And in hindsight now, we see that those, you know, those, um, like that push was was the right thing. But as a parent, when you have a 12-year-old who's really a lot older, than she seems and her, you know, she was a very soulful, soulful person. We just couldn't convince her. Like there was just, she did agree that she would start the heart transplant testing, um, which was scheduled for the following February. But I still think she knew, I really believe she knew that she wasn't going to be here by February, which was the only reason she agreed to do it. Some people think customizing your order is only big things like deciding about a heart transplant. But it can also be small things, small decisions along the way that can have a profound impact on the overall experience. So do you have examples of smaller ways 
where you and Callie were able to customize your order? Yeah, she kind of determined that when she looked at the list and it seemed like every time we went for a visit, the list got longer. But yeah, the doctor said no to everything, like absolutely everything that was physical and fun, as she would say, like she loved to dance. Her big thing was going to the, um, there was a dance show on TV at the time and they were doing a special thing in Toronto. Um, it was like $350 or something to join. And I just emailed them and asked if she could come and watch because she couldn't participate, but she was absolutely obsessed with the characters. And of course, the one girl wrote me back and said, oh, absolutely, like, come, here's a, I'm going to email you like a free ticket, she can come. And then the day that we went, she actually asked if she could participate. And I'm like, no, you're not dancing. Like, this is high level competitive dancing, you're not dancing. But I brought her defibrillator because we took it everywhere. And she just looked me in the face and said, watch me. And there she went right to the very front of the class. I have photos and videos of her up there keeping up with everybody. And that was an eight hour day of competitive dance in different classes. And afterwards she fell asleep in the car on the way home. But she, she told Brian and I many times that was the best day of her life. But as a parent, you just want what's best for your children and what's best for them, I think is their happiness. You know, keeping her in these four walls was, was torture. Wanda, you've lived through this. So what advice do you have to the listeners about your experience or customizing your order? You know, no matter what your condition, if you have, you know, heart condition, like I said, cancer or any other illness, or I think it's your right to do what's best for you. What Ultimately, like, if you don't want to fight, then, you know, we should respect that. Doctors should respect that. You know, a lot of doctors can't accept. It's like they lose. Like I felt this heart transplant. I did find out after too that this particular doctor was the head of the transplant team and hence had a very strong, you know, and she would even throw things around like um, about her research and, you know, these papers that she had written and this research that she had done and these statistics, like she had all of this stuff, but it was so focused on that part of it, on the data and had no focus at all on the quality of life of the child. And that's really what sat with me. I mean, I was working in research. I still work in research. Um, and I just thought that whole piece was missing. Like, you know, these are human beings. These are not just numbers. They're not just data. It's not just about, you know, you getting, you know, another check mark on your spreadsheet kind of thing. And, you know, I respected where she came from with her information for us. But I was very saddened by the fact that she just wouldn't listen. And I think we all need to listen. I've met Callie, and it was such a privilege to meet her and know her, and she was an amazing person. Wanda, is there one final memory you would like to leave with us about her and what kind of person she was? She made friends with everybody. You know, she the special needs kids at the school. She was super close to them. The bench, they had a bench program like Bench Buddies, where if you felt alone or you wanted a friend, you would go sit on the bench. She would literally spend her recess looking around to see if anyone was on these benches. She wanted to be the first person to sit next to them. You know, like she's just, yeah, wonderful, wonderful. I'm so proud to be her mom. She lived her life with purpose and with passion. The people that she loved, she loved them hard. Um, you know, we all knew when she passed, you know, those of us that were in that tight circle, there was no doubt, you know, there was no doubt that she lived a life that was going to have a legacy of giving and kindness and being fair to others we always say like if you could choose anything just choose to be kind and that's all from her 
Wanda, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thank you, Sam. Sammy, we've talked about customize your order as a concept, but I want to shift to this piece about being more practical and concrete. Like what can people do to figure out for themselves what is important to them? So I'll just say that there has been some research on this. Uh, Some of the best is or most widely known is called the serious illness conversation. They have tried to think about some questions that can help people. They ask things like, what are your most important goals and wishes? What are some of the biggest fears and worries about your future? Um, What are some of the trade-offs you're willing to make for the possibility of more time? Um, I'm interested, Sammy, from your practical experience, what are some of the conversations like for you? What advice do you have for our listeners about how to customize your order? Someone once told me that the way they made the system work for them was that they developed almost like a personal terms of reference. They purposely thought of three things that were really important to them and that they valued. And every time they had to make a decision along their illness journey, they checked in with their own personal terms of reference. Basically, uh, they were items that were most important to them. For example, a person might say, on my terms of reference, I want to spend as much time with my family. And that's really important to me. And every time a decision needs to be made, they may ask themselves, If I make this decision, how is that going to affect how much time I can spend with my family? And what about this decision is going to allow me to spend the maximum time with my family? Another example might be, it's really important for me to maintain my independence. So when a decision needs to be made, they may ask, how can this help me maintain my independence? If it can help me maintain my independence, I'll go for it. But if it doesn't, and there's too much burden with this decision, I may not go for it. So creating a list of things that you don't want to compromise, and then at multiple times along your illness journey, especially when a decision needs to be made, that you mentally bring out this terms of reference, and check and double check, how can I make this decision so that it best represents me and the things that I value so much? Other people have told me they simply ask themselves, what's worth living for? And so every time a decision needs to be made, they ask themselves, at this point in my illness, is this worth living for? And how is this decision going to impact that? But it's not going to be easy, is it, Sammy? I mean, the system is really designed to steer you away from too much customization. Yes, it's true, CN. I should warn people that if they try to personalize their care, sometimes it can cause a ripple effect in the system that may feel like you're working against the grain. And again, this is simply because the system is made like a conveyor belt. So if you're trying to tweak things, don't be surprised if it feels like it's a little more challenging than you thought. But you should pursue and persist with your personalization. You know, when I think about the time I've spent in the ICU doing consultations throughout my career, I'm always touched When at the bedside, I see a picture of what the person looked like before they had the accident or before they ended up in the ICU. It's a very poignant way for the healthcare providers providing care to that person in that bed to realize that it is a person and that they looked like this and had a life before this accident and that you're not just treating a body, you're treating a person. So 
this terms of reference that I referred to before is like your picture. You need to bring this picture forward during your illness, just like the pictures in the ICU. You need to bring it to every appointment, these things that you value and hold dear to your heart. And by sharing pieces about you, you're inviting your healthcare providers to talk to you about whether or not what they're offering fits into your own life. If you start early and bring yourself to your appointments, not just physically, but wholeheartedly in this way that I describe, then if you do it a little bit at a time throughout the journey, you probably won't feel such a ripple effect. It's when you've gone along the conveyor belt for months and months and months or years, and then suddenly realize that the care doesn't match who you are, and you bombard the system with demanding that this be different because this is not what you want for yourself, that's when you feel that you're working against the grain. So our suggestion is is that you pepper this in right from the beginning, bring you to even the first appointment. All right, so let's wrap up. What are our three take-home messages? Customize your order is this idea that you can tailor your care plan to your preferences and goals. So the bottom line is, know that when you have an illness, that the doctors and other healthcare providers are definitely well-intended, and they are the experts at the illness. But you are an expert about you, and you need to bring that forward. Like I said, I suggest that you develop some type of personal terms of reference, a list of things that are most important to you, and you use that mentally or physically on a piece of paper so that every time there's a twist or turn or decision or change in your care setting or change in the care plan, that you have this terms of reference that you can take out and ask yourself, what about this scenario is in keeping with me? Or does this feel like it's not me? And then I think the other piece is you want to have that communication about your priorities and your wishes with your providers and with your family so that they can support you and make decisions with you that are aligned with what you want. And lastly, know that your goals and preferences might change each time you face a new fork in the road about your illness. So revisit these questions and ask yourself, what's important to me at this juncture of my illness? How can I customize my order so it feels right for me at this point? This is how you'll maintain more control of your experience and move from having a generic experience to one that's more customized and personalized. Join us next episode where we talk about the key anticipate ripple effects. This is about moving from what are the patient's preferences and thinking about how those affect everyone around them. Our theme music is Maypole by Ketza. The podcast is edited and produced by me, Sien Xiao, and Kayla McMillan. Special thanks to Krista Honstra, Principal of Clarity Hub. For more information, visit us at waitingroomrevolution.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and help us get the word out.